0: Okay, am I on? No? I'm on? Okay. So I'm just trying to get used to this whole thing. Uh, I've been in the prison for quite a few years and there's no mic, no power slides. You pretty much just stand and go. So this is gonna take a little getting used to. Um, uh, Let me just make a few preliminary comments before I begin the message. Um, First, I just wanna thank uh, the elders uh, for uh, allowing me to come up here. Obviously, they must have hit the bottom of the barrel, so if you're here for the first time, I want to apologize, and there's gentlemen in the back to blame, and you can blame them afterwards. But um, but seriously, I want to say it's a real privilege to be up here. Um, It's quite of a challenge, you know. Uh, My wife knows me more than most, and um, the way my disposition is, this is one of the least likely places I would ever find myself in in a million years. Um, Anybody who knows me for two seconds, I would rather be sitting in there where you're sitting right now. Um, Many of you may not even recognize me because I'm not in my usual Sunday attire of a hoodie, uh, pants, and sneakers. So, but it is me, I'm Dan Melendez. And uh, just a way of introduction, I know we're having a steady flow of new people coming in, may not know who I am. Matter of fact, I've met uh, two people who's been here for the first time. So uh, just a brief introduction. Uh, again, my name is Dan Melendez. Uh, my wife, Jen Melendez, is in the back, in the AV. We've been married close to 20 years now, and uh, we've been attending this local assembly for close to 30 years, 30 years. I have uh, two great kids, uh, one of them sitting in the back. Uh, I'm not gonna ask her to come up and give a testimony or anything, so. Uh, her name is Faith, she's 14. Um, she's got a very creative mind, loves art, and she has a heart for people, she really does. And my son is 10, and uh, he's a huge uh, Philadelphia Eagles uh, fan, so pray for him, again, to having a tough season. So, um, but, uh, but that's pretty much the outlook. I've spent about 15, 20 years in the prison ministry. Um, I haven't been to seminary. Uh, usually the way I've learned to speak was through the school of hard knocks, so to speak. And I remember speaking the very first time, and I remember my knees just knocking, and I had a, a Bible in my hand, and the pages were just flopping all over the place. And the ironic thing is, you know, after 20 years later, my knees still knock. That never goes away. And uh, so as, this, as our brother was encouraging me early, if I, thank you for your prayers right away. I know, uh, by the way, because I know a lot of people has been praying. But it's just like I say, I just set up the sacrifice, but it's up to God to send the fire. That's beyond my pay grade. So I'm just here to show up and just to see what God does. So uh, that's just a brief introduction. Uh, Without further ado, if you all would please stand so I can read uh, Genesis chapter 13 to continue in the discussion on Abraham. Okay, verse one. So Abram went up to Egypt to Negev, and he and his wife and all that belonged to him and Lot with him. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, silver and gold. And he went on his journeys from the Nevgev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been made at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there previously. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks, herds, and tents. And the land could not support both of them while living together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to remain together. And there was strife between the herdsmen and Abram's livestock, and the herdsmen of Lot's uh, Lot's livestock. Now the Canaanites and uh, Perizzites were living in the land at the time. So So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are relatives. Is the entire land not before you? please separate from me. If you choose the left, then I'll go to the right. If you choose to the right, then I'll go to the left. Lot raised his eyes and saw all the vicinity of the Jordan, and that it was well watered everywhere. This is before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt going toward Zoar. So Lot chose for himself all the vicinity of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward, so they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled in the cities of the vicinity of the Jordan. And moved his tents as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, now raise your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see I'll give to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as plentiful as the dust of the earth. So that if anyone can count the dust of the earth, then your descendants could also be counted. Arise, walk about in a land through its length and width, for I'll give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and came and and lived by the oaks of Mamre, uh, which are in Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Uh, Let me pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, I just thank you, Lord, for getting me up here. And I just pray, Lord, uh, now you're responsible for obedience, Lord. So we pray that you would uh, bless this message, Lord. And I pray that your word would come forth uh, in truth, Lord, and showing the, how relevant your word is even these thousands of years later after it was written, Lord. So, Lord, we thank you, Lord thank you and i pray lord that your grace lord would be a fresh word to us lord that we would shake off the shackles of familiarity with words that we've heard throughout time and lord it would come to us fresh and new so lord we just pray that by your grace that you would uh, just strike fire in this sacrifice in the name of the lord jesus christ we pray amen you can maybe see it Oh, two things I forgot uh, I feel like one of those football stars with the lights And how, you know how they say, hi mom You know, I see my mother-in-law, hi mom You know, I'm right here And uh, also my dad, my dad comes here as well He's been coming here for a number of years He's one of my heroes um, He speaks limited English But he loves God's word so much That he'd rather be here And take every little bit that he can get You know, to, uh, just for his hunger For God's word and his love for Jesus Christ And um, he also asked in the past, too, I know he has a lot of physical ailments, he struggles with cancer and many different things, kidney disease, and he just asked, you know, uh, just keep him in your thoughts and prayers and just continue to pray for him because one thing about him is, even though his numbers are stable, medications are doing well, his first line of attack, please pray for me. Now, I'm the complete opposite. I'll go, okay, what do I have to do next? And once my plans are set, then I ask God to bless my plans that I haven't set, but he's uh, definitely a good role model, and uh, I tell you, he's one of the main reasons why I'm up here today as well. So, uh, you know, just keep him in prayer. Um, the way I generally present, especially in the prisons, you're very limited on resources, so I have a tendency, I got a vivid imagination, so I love using the word of God as a guideline, but I also love using and utilizing the imagination. As long as it's in the confines and boundaries of God's word, I believe it's an invaluable asset. Um, And it can bring God's word out in a way that we may have thought we knew something because we've heard it a million times, but when you bring it out a different, you know, an orthodox way, it kind of brings that truth to light in a way that you've never maybe seen before. And that's what I try to do in the prisons, to show, not to make the truth of God's word relevant, but to show how relevant it already is. And that's what makes people kind of lean forward a little bit to show that this just isn't an ancient book, that this book has tremendous power and relevancy for my life. So that's what I tend to do. Now, that can be a double-edged sword because when you go outside the boundaries of God's truth, it can be somewhat dangerous. Like for me, coming up here for the first time, in my mind, every seat is packed, you know, and everybody's just looking and critiquing. Obviously, outside the boundaries of God's truth, that's false. So you gotta kind of rear it in a little bit. You can't let it have free reign. But it doesn't mean that you disuse it altogether. I believe it can be a rather effective tool, and that's what I try to do with the inmates in a prison. So I'm gonna attempt to do that today a little bit. Um, I'm not gonna... Paul did a great job, by the way, last week uh, as far as uh, chapter 12 was concerned, but I was talking to uh, Jim Silvera, and I wanna do a little bit of review Very short, real brief, maybe like 30 seconds to a minute. And he mentioned that it was kind of like watching Netflix. You move to the next episode, you don't see it for a week, but then they do a recap of the prior, what happened in the prior episode. So you get a feel for what's going on. Because the first four verses in verse 13 really will be irrelevant and don't make much sense unless I paint a picture of what what it's about. You'll just see names and, you know, going back to the same place he was before and worshiping there. And sometimes it'll just go a little bit over our heads. We won't get the full depth of what he's trying to communicate through God's word. So before then, I just want uh, just a quick recap, you know, uh, super quick. Uh, As Paul was saying, there was a famine in the land. Um, Abraham was in a desperate situation. He was in a Nevgev, in a wilderness area. Uh, It probably got so bad, again, using your imagination, uh, they didn't have water uh, or food, uh, so probably he he was wealthy, so he had a lot of cattle, a lot of servants. Maybe some cattle began to die. Maybe some of the children of some of his servants began to pass away as well, so he felt like he was in a desperate situation. Like many of us, sometimes we find ourselves in desperate situations and feel like we have to move forward without God's, you know, uh, you know intervention or whatnot, uh, talking it over with him, kind of like what, what I do and what I should do, what my dad does. But, um, but then to make a long story short, you know, he comes up with a plan so he can save his own neck, so to speak. And what I love about the God's word, I don't want to regress too much, but it shows the truth. It shows, shows the successes, God's successes through them, but it also shows their, favor, uh, their failures. And the reason why I like that, because I can relate so much to people like that. I can't relate to somebody with a nice tie and a shirt, and you, know, and then you only hear about successes all the time. It feels like that's a bar I can't attain. But I love the bars that the Bible sets that they're people just like you and I, even Father Abraham in a sense. Um, So we hear about, going back to the story, uh, Abraham goes with Sarai, comes up with a plan, look, you know, they're gonna kill me unless we do this. So I come up with a plan, you're my sister. Uh, You're an attractive looking woman, And, uh, and it was true, he wasn't saying that because it was a husband, because the other Egyptians said the same thing. She says this woman's a, uh, attractive. They brought her to Pharaoh. Sure enough, uh, Pharaoh you know, found her very appealing. So as a reward for uh, Abram, uh, he gave him a lot of livestock, a lot of gold, things such as that. So if Abram wasn't wealthy before, he is double wealthy now before he leaves. So Abraham thinks he's, he's making out pretty good. Uh, number one, his neck is saved. Number two, he's coming up with a lot of wealth. Now this is where I wanna shift the imagination just a little bit. Now you have Sarai, and it says in Pharaoh's house, right? Now when it says Pharaoh's house, I looked it up in some of the original. It was more of a harem than anything. Solomon had his harem, king of Egypt, this is a harem. Now you gotta realize she no longer has nomadic clothes. She has fragrances, got cleaned up, and they put her in some different kind of clothing to be appealing to the king of Egypt. So she's probably sitting there alone, or maybe with some other women in the room, Feeling quite, uh, you know, quite lonely at the time, maybe with her hands on her face saying, you know, where's my husband? How did I get here? You know, maybe naturally that's how a person would think. They don't know the whole story like we do. They're stuck in that situation. So she feels she's in a desperate situation. Her uh, husband just abandoned her. And then I wish I could read further and find out how Abram came with a uh, rescue mission to get his wife back, realized this wasn't right. He goes rescue her and escapes Egypt. That didn't happen, unfortunately. We never hear about Abram again. So realistically, Abraham's not in the picture, but what I love about God's grace while she's in that situation. um, I'm just gonna go back to uh, verse 17 of chapter 12, and then we're gonna move forward. It says, but the Lord sent terrible plagues upon Pharaoh and his household. And this is what I highlighted, because Sarai, uh, Abram's wife. Now, we know through all scripture that this was going to be God's future people, which the deliverer was going to come through, as stated in Genesis, um, after they had fallen. But sometimes reading between the lines, as much important as that is, sometimes it's just important to read the line. It just simply says, because Sarai, Abram's wife. In other words, yes, it was for his future people but the individual is also indispensable. He did it because he loved Sarai. Sarai meant the world to him. Sometimes you can sit in a chapel like this and feel like that we're one among many I'm part of the body of the Christ and forget that, being, that the individual is not indispensable because only in the Christian faith and any other worldview that I've seen is that Jesus leaves the 99 to go for the one and puts himself in harm's way. It wasn't an easy truck to get that cheap. It's very, very dangerous trek in order to get that sheep, and he was willing to do it, even though it was the sheep's fault, even though he wandered off maybe on the edge of the cliff, that Jesus Christ would be, be able to leave his area of comfort to come to be where we are to come and rescue us. And to me, that's such a beautiful thing. Um, it reminds me, I'm going to end with this, because I don't when this portion before we get on to actual chapter 13. Um, it reminds me of a true story that I heard a long time ago about these two men and... Uh, They were drinking buddies and he would go out and drink after work and after some time one of them became a Christian and uh, after a while the friend who wasn't a Christian was quite angry and upset at the situation because he lost his buddy that he went and hung out and had a good time with on the weekends and then after some time a couple of weeks you know he began to taunt his friend at work and uh, concerning Jesus and the faith and being a hypocrite so he pulled him aside and he said this to him He says, you are such a hypocrite. He says, what do you mean? He says, suppose one moment that you can go into a room with a bottle of whiskey or whatever, and then uh, the room is closed and nobody else is gonna see you. You mean to tell me because of this Jesus and this Christianity, you're not gonna pick up that drink? When you're all alone, nobody can see you. And then his friend thought for a moment, very soberly, he says, you know, I think you're right in everything that you said except in one point. He said, what's that? He says, I'll never be alone again. Christ, once you're in Jesus Christ, he will never, ever, ever leave you alone no matter how far we've fallen. And we see this in chapter 12 with Abram. So now that sets up the scene for verse 1. So now we have a little bit of context what's going on. So now it says, so Abraham left Egypt. We know what happened. He's leaving Egypt, and he traveled north into the Nevgev, back into that uh, wasteland along with his wife and Lot and all that they own. Verse 2 says, Abraham was very rich in livestock, silver and gold. I looked into the original word. I'm going from the NLT, by the way. Uh, it's a much easier translation for me to understand. I study another ones, but I love the NLT. Um, the reason why I do that, because I only have two remaining brain cells, and to compensate for it, I get an easier version for me to understand and get the sense of what's going on. Um, but as I looked up, when it says very rich, it looks like he made out perfectly. Like, look at that. He disobeyed God, God's gracious, gave him all this wealth. But when you look up very rich, and I looked it up in the original, it means more of a negative term. It's more of a burden. Matter of fact, I think I got it here. It's just the wonders of technology. Let's see. Yeah, it says, uh, to be heavy, weighty, burdensome, to be heavy in weight of misfortune, Heavier than sand. So when it says very rich, that's the sense that it's trying to give. So in a sense, when Abraham's traveling back, leaving Egypt, he's seeing all this stuff. In, number one, he probably doubled the amount of property he had. He already was wealthy. Now, the length from Egypt back to the place of worship, I think it says in verse four, is roughly 250 miles. That's a long way. When we skim through the verses, we think, you know, it's just easiest easy as turning the next page, and he's there. 250 miles, just think about it, for a 75-year-old man and a, 60, a 65-year-old woman. It's a long trek, and he wasn't sitting there with speedos and a walking stick and just him and his wife. He had a big caravan of property that he had to bring, so they were moving very slow in the sand. Animals needed to graze, and he had to feed the animals. Women maybe were having babies, so maybe this could have took over a month or maybe a couple of months. The reason why I want to stress this is not for no reason, it's because... That gave Abraham a lots of time to think. Just think about the situation with Sarai. Do you think, she says, oh, all is forgiven, forgotten? They had to hash a lot out. He had to wipe a lot of tears, a lot of sorries, and a lot of, you know, retribution, just working things out with his wife. Uh, you know, and then I think that's the burden he got. You know, not just double the burden of property, but what it cost him. He almost lost his wife uh, because of all that property. And in that sense, I think, believe that's a great burden. Um, It's easy to look at Abraham and talk about, I can't believe he did such a thing, but I'm guilty. I've done that too. Um, Jen's a really good woman, and I just, maybe I'm not going to go into details, but maybe like a month, two months ago, uh, I've done something that really broke a heart, and I've seen tears in her eyes, and that's one of the hardest things for me to see. So I just get a small uh, snapshot of maybe what Abraham went through, and we had to work through a few things that I've done wrong. And, um, but what made my wife more beautiful is her capacity for grace and to forgive. And as, so as Abraham was moving now forward, you know, from Nevgev, they continued traveling stages, Bethel, and pitched their tents between Bethel and Ai, where they had camped before, 250 miles, that's the length of maybe when I took my son to his first NFL game, Philadelphia Eagles, to the financial, uh, Lincoln building. That's 250 miles, about six hours and, uh, and a half trip by car. So it took them quite a while. And all through the way, he's trying to make things right with his wife and his God, looking at all this wealth. Sometimes wealth isn't all that it's cracked up to be sometimes. Just go to a place where the Israel wills or some property, and you see so much infighting, it's insane. Um, to make a long story short, he says, by the, this is the verse I want to hammer on a little bit, though. And I'm probably going to speak... And I'm going to speak three main verses. There's going to be three legs. Uh, But this is the main leg. And I'll reveal each leg and what I'm getting at as I get to each point. Uh, Because they're going to kind of overflow to the next. Uh, Verse 4 said, this was the same place where Abram had built the altar. And there he worshipped the Lord again. And that's where I'm going to hit for the next few moments. Let me hit this here. Okay. So the first thing I want to say is... This is the same place he went last time. Um, And I was sharing with somebody before, his concept of who God is and his love is apples and oranges from when he went there the first time and then when he went there the second time. I kind of equate it to something like this, a couple who first gets married, feel like they can't love the person any more than they do and it's true. And you see them in a picture and you see them all smiles. But then you go like, for instance, like me and Jen, 20 years later, and then you take the, the love and growth and how we've advanced 20 years later and put it towards our engagement picture, and it's apples and oranges. The word love has a different meaning. And that's what you see in Abraham. And what the reason why it expanded so much because I saw a different con, he, he saw a different concept that he's never seen of the creator before. And that was when he was at his worst. He's seeing God's love the greatest. And that's something that's really touching. That's something that actually changes people. Um, I remember, uh, I, I didn't set up this story before, you know, my dad being one of my heroes, but uh, many who's been here for a while maybe recall uh, Matthew Reeves, my stepfather as well, and uh, Mary Reeves. Um, many of you may know that he's been, uh, um, he has Alzheimer's. And he's had it for quite a long time already. And uh, when he was first diagnosed, uh, I figured I'd go, you know, go visit, go see him. Mom was there. She made lunch for us because we were kind of close as well as I am with my dad. And uh, she leaves us alone so we can talk. And uh, and as we're eating, you know, we're just talking, catching up. And I'm the type who likes to pick people's brains, especially people who's gone before me, people who's been through a lot, but their faith still stands. I just want to get something but I'm trying to ask it in a right way so it doesn't seem awkward. And what I wanted to ask him, and I did, was, you know, uh, he's an older gentleman in his 90s. He's a, uh, so I asked him, I says, through all your life experience, you know, I said, I know this might be a loaded question, but what's one thing um, that I could take from your life that I can pass down, not just to myself, but to my kids um, concerning Christ and, you know, uh, anything in life? i like to take complicated issues and just make it simple for anybody to understand and um and he's went through so many times he's 90 so he's depression uh deep south he's a black man dealing with the kkk he talked about his experiences all throughout time and uh he says you know dan he says and he said this very low as we were eating he put down his fork he says i've done a lot of wrong in my life he says i've done a lot of wrong and he stopped, and uh, his eyes got wet, and he says, but for the grace of God, I wouldn't be here today. And by for the grace of God, I wouldn't be who I am. That transforming power. And I get that sense, that's what Abram went through when he went to that altar to worship again. It wasn't simply, you know, with the same type of worship. It was that deep love that God knows us, not just for the good points, but the dark points of our character, but yet he still loves us deeply. That's touching. Do you know? That's what makes home home. Matter of fact, you can have all the money in the world. Matter of fact, you go to Hollywood today. Some are so lonely, but yet they're surrounded by so many people. Why is that? Because they only project an image of who they really are. So people fall in love with the image instead of the real thing. Why can I go home and feel that sense of security and love? Because people like my kids and my wife could see me at my worst and still say, that's my dad or that's my husband and I love him anyways. In a much grander way, that's the way Christ, when we come to him, sees us at the same time. He loves us not just as a corporate group, but also as an individual, indispensable. Like I was at the shelter today and there's two things I try to do. Um, I don't try to preach. To me, that's not a preaching situation. This is, but not there because they've been through tough times, a lot of them literally homeless, staying in tents. And uh, so I go in there, I was sharing with somebody, I just try to learn their name, and I hear their story. I don't try to correct them and tell them how they're wrong, I just sit there and listen. And what that does indirectly is, it shows that somebody actually cares and concerns. I just ask them questions about themselves. And you will be amazed when you take that posture of listening, how the Holy Spirit opens Opportunities to communicate God's love with him, and matter of fact, this is what happened. Um, I think maybe a couple of months ago, and this is going to wrap into how God's grace changes individuals and changes people, which is the point of this particular passage. Um, I remember talking to one kid. I don't know if he was homeless, but he was really uh, poverty, um, and he was. I don't want to go into too much detail because I know they have this on the media. But to make a long story short, I was just asking him questions about himself. And then he came up into, he was into like naturalist and magic and stuff like that. So I was like, okay, you know, I was listening from his point of view. And then he says, you know what, Dan? I came across a dream. I was like, what's that? He says, it felt like this darkness was kind of choking me. And he says, but he looked to the side and he saw Jesus hanging on the cross. I didn't know if he was a Christian or what. I says, What do you think that's all about? Who's Jesus to you? He goes, He's God. I was like Okay, I was like, all right, yeah, you're right. But I says, what's the deal with the cross? If you believe he's God, why would God have to die in the first place? And he looked at me and says, I don't know, I don't know. And I told him a story, they gotta think about the context about myself. And this is gonna sum up this main point about how God's grace changes people. Um, this is probably not something you probably hear in a church too often, but I came from a prison type of environment and you know, in the shelter, so it's a little bit different, but it's real. You know, you get to see the real individual. As a senior pastor said here years ago, I don't float into my shoes. I need God's grace just like the next person. I'm one beggar showing another beggars so where to find bread. So that's the way I look at it. But uh, I remember years ago, and I think I said this to the choir years ago too. Um, when I was in my teens, I used to go to a, uh, soup kitchen, a shelter, and I was seeing somebody at the at the time, and one thing led to another. You know, it came to I wanna make a long story short. Somebody owed him her money, so I had to step up. You're on the street, that's what you do. Uh, so I went up, it didn't work out too well. He used a lot of expletives that you would hear like a Chef Ramsey type of beep type of thing on TV. And uh, so everybody was watching. So when you're on the street, I was probably 120 pounds soaking wet. You still had to step up regardless. So, so I told him, you know, well, we're gonna to have to deal with this. And he says, well, we're in a church, you know, we're not going to deal with it here. So he began to get up slowly, and I'm thinking, I'm doing the mathematics in my head, I'm thinking, my only way of survival is I strike him right now, while well, he doesn't see it coming. And that's exactly what I did. This kid he was probably close to 200 pounds, and I did, and I wasn't that strong, but I think he, he didn't think I was crazy enough to do something like that. So one thing led to another, I knew with the mathematics in my head, the priests and the nuns would probably run around and break it up, sure enough, my mathematics for once was correct, they broke it up, looked like a hero, you know, and I saved the day, and um, it keeps going on, There's a, I got to edit the story a little bit, uh, it's kind of funny when I told the choir that, I heard a collective sigh, you know, Aw. so the old choir is kind of sick in the head a little bit, but um but yeah, no, but what happened is when I went home after that whole ordeal, now this is where I want you to pay attention. I'm setting this whole thing up. I'm not just saying this for no reason. Um, I, I felt bad, you know, something like that happened in the church. Guy had it coming, but, you know, there's no reason doing something like that. Now, I wasn't a strong believer per se, but had to make things right. So I go back up, I'm gonna apologize to the priest. So I'm walking back, you know, and I'm rehearsing a conversation in my head. What he's gonna say to me, probably give me a tongue lashing and throw me out and never see me again. So I go over there, I see the head priest there, it's like a Catholic church, and I was like, Can I talk to you real quick? And he walks out, so I, you know, swallowed real quick, and I said to him, I said, You know, I just wanted to apologize for what happened yesterday. And he probably was like 30 years old, young at the time. And he looked at me, didn't even let me finish. He says, You know what? The guy probably had it coming, you know? And, you know, just because he could tell I was really kind of choked up about it. But, um, as he's seeing that he wasn't shaking me off and that I was really serious, he put his hand, I'll never forget it, I feel it vividly, like it was right on my shoulder. And he said, oh, I forgive you, it's okay. It's all right. He says, you'll be more than a welcome guest here. And that's the, one of the first times that God's grace, it's like, you know, that little flickering light a little bit, rather than just reading it in a book or hear it in a church. I, that's what I've seen through a Catholic priest for the first time, somebody showing me that grace. So I went back down there. Now, now again, now to get back, I don't want to drag this out too long, but I'm now I'm talking to the kid. I says, you know what the cross maybe is about? Maybe the cross is the cost for forgiveness. For me to sit back down where I was before, the priest had a price to pray so I can come back and sit down and enjoy a meal, um, meaning he was going to take the tongue lash instead of me. As much as they wanted me out, they couldn't do it because I had the authority of the priest. He took the tongue-lashing in my behalf. That was, see, when it comes to forgiveness, there's always a cost to forgiveness. Most people think, you know, why can't God just forgive like we forgive one another? Because we don't even do that. Because whenever it takes uh, someone to forgive a relationship and to restore it again, number one, someone has to be willing to pay the cost for the forgiveness. And the other person has to be willing to say, I'm sorry. And the cross behind me is living proof that God was willing to pay the cost for you and I, the cost for that forgiveness. All we have to do now is come before him and say, I'm sorry. And it's done. And I believe in a much deeper way, that's what Abram saw. He saw forgiveness. Abraham didn't get off, paid off the hook. Didn't get lit off the hook, so to speak. So that grace, that grace changes everything, changes people. Now, I'm gonna move to the next slide. Let me see if I can punch this thing. Here we go. So after verse four, this was the same place where Abraham has built the altar and there he worshiped the Lord again, again, against apples and oranges. He just received God's grace and mercy. And it changes you. He's not the same type of individual that he was uh, before he went to Egypt. He experienced God's love Cost for forgiveness, his grace, his restoration. Now, we move on to the next leg, which is going to be how God's grace changes people in real time. Not just theoretically in the Bible, but I mean how it really transforms and changes people's lives. Um, And I'm going to go down to the main point I'm going to bring out in this is verse 8. It says, finally, Abram said to Lot, let's not allow the conflict to become... Between us, who are herdsmen, after all, we are close relatives. So pretty much, he left that area. Now they had so much stuff. They had so much stuff that Lot and Abram couldn't stay in the same area anymore. Um, So there was a lot of infighting. So it just, you know, it's like the old saying, more money, more problems. That's pretty much what you see now. You see this family uh, infighting. But now you see a different disposition in Abraham, because now he says, uh, "You know, we shouldn't be fighting over stuff like this. Um, you know, you're, we're blood. You know, your nephew. You now, what's the you know significance about this? Because prior to that, remember, with Sarai, he was willing to sell her out for a lot of property, but after he experienced and tasted in God's grace." It, it like raises the boats to everything else. Now there's a more uh, significant value to other human beings now because he saw God's forgiveness for his own life. I remember an uh, uh, old uh, mis- uh, Christian mystic, I think it was back in the 16th century. He said this, he said, the reason why people are not at peace with one another is because they're not at peace with themselves. The people, the reason why they're not at peace with themselves is not because they're not at peace with God. God is the center, so when he tasted God's grace and forgiveness for himself, what does it do with Lot? Now it kind of overflows a little bit. Um, I'm going to use this illustration for myself to bring up this point. Um, I told you about the issue. um, Now take the the lenses I brought from when I was in a shelter and what happened um, to maybe 10 years, 15 years later. Uh, you know, coming to become a Christian, coming to know Jesus Christ, and how, as I remember his grace and how it changed my life, now it changes my perception for other people. I remember I do a lot of deliveries, uh, and, you know, kind of like a rough area sometimes, and I was in this account, it was like a meat market there, and there was this lady from the street, she was maybe, maybe 50, maybe 60 years old, somewhere around there, and she had, like, these clothes, and as soon as she walked in a room, I mean, she was out of her mind. I mean, you could just smell. There was, like, a, that type of stench that you could cut. I mean, it was really bad. And, uh, you know, she was strung out. You would always see her throughout the neighborhood. And as soon as she comes in, you see, you hear people, the owner said, not her again, because she's very loud, very obnoxious. You could tell she's, like, high or out of it. And um, she said something. I remember I was doing my thing, and I seen her coming in, and I seen the owner kind of like nodding his head. He didn't want her in there. So uh, she said something. She's getting loud, and she said something about, you know, God knows, you know, if he doesn't come up here, you know, I'm going to, you know, whatever. Well, in my type of job, you got to be half crazy. So I remember going up to her. I says, hey. She says, what? And I says, God wouldn't tell you to do that. You know, being, you know, kind of playing, but being serious at the same time. Matter of fact, I know something that you don't. He says, What do you know? I says, That he loves you. He loves you. And then she kind of like stopped for a second because that's not a usual comment you hear from another human being. Matter of fact, she probably didn't hear something like that for a long time for the way she acted, the way she was dressed, being probably a little bit out of her mind. I says, No, 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 no. I'm not kidding. Listen to me. He loves you very much, and so do I. I'm straight up serious with you. And all of a sudden, you see, like, walls break, and it's kind of funny how little comments like that really get to people's hearts. And uh, you could tell she kind of shook it off a little bit, you know, and she kind of backed up, and she pulled out a file. It was funny. She says, well, yeah, I know that. And he says, I know I'm going to go get high later, too. I said, that don't mean nothing. He says, he still loves you even when you're at your lowest. And she kind of stopped. She says, you know what I'm going to do? She says, "What?" I'm going to give you a hug everybody else is like that girl that girl stinks what's wrong with you so i went up and give her an opportunity i just came and gave her a hug i says i love you too and i I remember she just kind of did one of these she kind of backed up a little bit like didn't know what to make of the situation and that was the end of the conversation i was driving back the same area 10 years later and i was kind of you know doing those quick quiet prayers and i was like lord whatever happened to that lady is there really anything to this gospel thing does stuff really happen i mean in your head you know it But in life, it's kind of like, you like to see something, you know? And it's kind of funny. I didn't see that woman in 10 years. But after that prayer, two weeks later, um, I've seen her. That's when, uh, during the pandemic, we had the masks on. And I remember she went to one of the counts I generally service, and I knew it was her. I could tell by the eyes right away. Except it was her, but it wasn't the same person anymore. You know, she was nice, clean, jumpsuit, nails done up. You know, she spoke very softly. It was like a different person. Now, I'm not saying she got saved or anything. I don't know. But one thing I do know, that that person who I met 10 years prior was not the same person who I saw later on. And my point to this is, God's grace transforms and changes people one by one. And if we forget this, um, we miss out on a lot, don't we? because it's not just living, living the right precepts or coming to church Sunday, so to speak. Christianity is a transformed life. It's a new type of life that he has given. As the old saying goes, God didn't make, come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live, dead people alive again. And what God did for me many, many years ago is something I would have never done except for the life-changing power of Jesus Christ in a new life. Uh, What God did for me years ago, I would never be up here behind a mic today in a million years. That's gonna happen. It's never gonna happen. But when somebody shows you that much grace during the time when I was in Egypt, how do you say no for something like that? So I may not have a disposition for it, but my prayer now is each time you come up, help me to die today. Help me to die today. So So he becomes main focus, like the pinnacle of life. So to speak. Let me see. I know I had something here. Lot chose. There's two quick points as I saw at, let me see, verses 10 and verses 11. It says, Lot took a long look and Lot chose for himself in verse 11 lot took a long look and as i was reading that now um i thought about the tempter in the garden you know did god really say and after he tempted her says she took a long long look um it's kind of like the philosophy of our society today uh when one tries to live uh, without god um in our secularized society, we are wondering why, what's going on with this country? Why is it falling at the wayside? It seems like, you know, all the threads, everything's coming apart. And this isn't a new, this has been going on for years since the beginning. When the devil says, you know, in the day you eat of this fruit, you shall be like him. It's like he was saying, in the day that you eat of this fruit, you shall be God. You know, like play God. And you're gonna redefine everything because the Bible reminds us that. Um, and, It says in man's own eyes he'll decide what's right and wrong. He'll do what's right in his own eyes. And we see that today when that main peg to society is removed. We end up living fragmented experiences from experience to experience. Example, the Ten Commandments. The very first commandment, uh, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. If you were to remove that one commandment, all the others don't apply to it, does it? There's no basis to love your neighbor. There's no basis to not covet, you know, property, not to be envious, not to lie. The basis, the reason why we don't lie and covet and love our neighbor, is because of the first peg that's been removed in our society. And we see that exactly in our secular, in our, in our, in our area today. We redefine everything. There is no up or down left. As a matter of fact, um, I remember reading one of the writings of uh, Frederick Nietzsche long time ago. Actually, I used it in a Bible study. It was kind of interesting. Let me see if it's right here. Yes. Um, hey, technology isn't all that it's cracked up to be. Where are you? Two different areas. Frederick Nietzsche was um, born 1844, lived, died in the year 1900. And he was an atheistic philosopher. I'm not going to get too deep in it. don't want to get lost in it. But he came up with the term that uh, God is dead. I think you hear that a lot in the 60s, stuff like that. Now, he believed in God, but he just believed God was unjust. So he hated him. Whatever happened, whether it was wars, whether he saw suffering, he didn't outright not believe in God. He believed there was a God. He just didn't believe it was just. And he wrote this. He says, have you ever not heard of the madman who lit a lantern in a bright morning hours ran to the marketplace and cried incessantly i'm looking for god i'm looking for god as many of you who did not believe in god were standing just around then he provoked much laughter they said what did he get lost asked one did he lose his way like a child is he afraid of us has he gone on a voyage emigrated and they yelled and laughed at him the madman jumped up into the mist and pierced them with his eyes "Where is god he cried he said where is he? he says i'll tell you and this is important i think this is what's going on in our society he says we've killed him you and I, all of us are his murderers, but how do we do this? He says, do we drink up the sea who gave us the sponge to wipe away the entire horizon? What are we doing when we unchain this from the earth and its sun? Where's it moving now? Um, let me see, I don't wanna read the whole thing and lose people. But ba- basically, what's saying there's no up or down left. When you remove that peg, we're forced to become the God of God. When a person says they don't believe in God and don't believe in anything, that's false. To not believe in God is to believe in self. That's how it works. That's what the tempter was trying to do with Eve in the beginning. He wasn't trying to disbelieve God, but he was trying to say place more trust, be independent in yourself, and we see this in our secularized society today. We call our own shots, we call our own rules, and this is what we saw with Lot when he saw and he chose. Um, I remember a story a friend told me uh, when He had a friend of his who was on the streets. He was strung out on drugs. He was the joke of the neighborhood. But uh, he got his act cleaned up a little bit and he began to get into boxing. And he was pretty good at it. And uh, after a while, he became a pro. He began to make a lot of money. He began to drive the fancy cars, wear the nice clothes. Um, He began to have respect from the neighborhood, so to speak. But then one time, he was getting ready for a championship fight. And then uh, what happened was, He was sparring, light sparring, but when he was done, he got a little lightheaded. And uh, after a while, before he stepped out of the ring, he collapsed. So the ambulance came and they took him, they evaluated him, my friend went to visit him. Um, And the nurse came in and said that he had some issue like uh, with his brain, I don't know exact medical terminology, but more or less he says, you're never gonna fight again. You can't fight anymore because one more major shot and you could be gone, it could end you. So the nurse left. He was kind of quiet. My friend was with him. He says, bro, what are you going to do now? He says, what do you mean, what am I going to do? He says, I'm going to fight. He says, why are you going to fight? You heard what she said. He says, listen to me. This is all I've got. He said, if I don't have boxing, I might as well be dead. And this is the, the type of situation we see a lot of people who don't know Jesus Christ is in. They might not say it like that per se, but we're all looking for something, so to speak, to hang our hat on. The question we need to ask, is it trustworthy and reliable? This man uh, was boxing. That's what he tried to make meaning of life. Frederick Nietzsche was trying to say, you need to find your own sense of meaning in life. We see that with a lot. It's not that he didn't believe in God, but God was like way in the back burner. He could only see what's right in front of him. It looked so good and he took it and later he paid the consequences. So we see that with a lot. So the first point I wanted to bring out was number one, how God's grace changes people. Number two, how it changes our perception of other people as well. And let me see, get back. Then we go to verse... 14 through 18, and this is where we leads us after changes our view of other people, completely changes our whole lives. Um, I lead to what you call an eternal perception, an eternal perception. It says after Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, Look as far as you can see. He says in every direction, north, south, east, west. He says, I'm giving you all this land as far as you can see to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. He says, I'll give you so many descendants so like the dust of the earth, they can't be counted. Go walk through the land in every direction and I'm giving it to you. Now what's kind of ironic like this, uh, Abraham was never gonna experience any of those promises, was he? He wasn't ever gonna experience any of those things. Um, matter of fact, let me go to here. In Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, Uh, I'm gonna start with verse eight. Now, this is Abraham's perception. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as an inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was a foreigner living in tents, and so did Isaac and Jacob and inherited the same uh, promise. And then verse 10, it says this, Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city that was uh, defined by God. I'm um, going back to Matthew, my stepfather. Um, when he first realized he you know, had Alzheimer's, that could be one of the trickiest moments because you still have your faculties and you know potentially that's where you would go. And he loves Jesus Christ so much. Matter of fact, if you would look at his Bible at the time, every line was highlighted, every line, and he'd write in between it, and uh, so after what Christ has done for him, that was like the center, the core of who he is, and this is what concerned him most. After we finished our conversation, you know, he put down his fork, and uh, we were getting ready to leave, but he, he held my hand, he says, Dan, I said, like, yeah, he says, what if I forget Jesus one day? And I looked at him and I thought real hard, that's kind of a loaded question to try to even tackle. What if I forget Jesus one day? So you gotta understand where he is at that moment. Um, So just a thought came into my head instantly. I put down my fork and I says, you know what, whether it does or doesn't, I don't know. But even if it did, the most important thing is, Jesus Christ will never forget you. That's the most important thing. And he kind of looked down his eyes wet he says yeah that's right that is more important an eternal perspective um hebrews twelve two says for the joy set before him christ endured the cross we can endure a lot once we know what our destination is can we if you don't know where your destination is um it's pretty hopeless um And you have tremendous tenacity to go through difficult times because you know where the finish line is. Um, How many people here remember our Rachel Shivers? Anybody here Rachel Shivers? I know people in the choir do. A lot of you people may not. Um, She was part of our choir years, years ago. And I used to be friends with her husband, Don Shivers. And um, we used to talk before service, you know, about life. He was into, like, adventurous wildlife type of things, horseback riding, and he wanted to get together and do that one day. So I was like, yeah, okay, you know, whatever, you know. So we'll talk about it next Sunday. So I come next Sunday, didn't see him, you know. I was like, all right, maybe he's running late, just didn't come in today. Sat in a seat, and I remember we're in an old church building, and there was an announcement that came up that's saying this brother Don had passed away instantly, didn't see it coming. So, you had this Rachel Shivers, you know, he was pretty much the breadwinner of the household. So, she was in a tough spot right out of the bat. And um, so, you know, after a while, you know, we supported her with her and passed the hat around to help her with the rent and many different things. And then after that, when she started to get her sea legs back a little bit, um, not only was she lose her best friend, she was in financial distress, come to find out, yes, unfortunately, she had cancer. And it was unfortunate, it was a terminal type of thing. And, uh, and so she was going through the chemo, things looked well, but then you know how those things go sometime, it didn't work out in the end. And you know, but she kept serving Jesus Christ and as a choir would be going to a women's facility in the prisons, she'd come along with us, she was a prano. And what she would do is, is before she sang like a solo song, she began to sh- uh, share a testimony. And every time she shared her testimony, it was like every elbow was on his knee and every woman was kind of leaning forward no matter what their background was. Because as it says, I don't know if it's uh, Hebrews 12.1, you know how faith is the assurance of something you can't see. It was like something that she can see with her eyes that they can't see. There was this eternal re- reality that they were looking for but they couldn't grasp. But they, it, something in their soul said, that's what we need because they saw that Christianity and trusting in Christ doesn't mean things go well, but it gives you tremendous perseverance and tenacity because you know the finish line and where you're heading. Um, like, like with Abraham, in a, you know, in a sense, he never received that promise. He continued to be a nomad wandering around, but he knew where his future was. And if we lose that sense of that eternal perspective we become so weak and uncertain in life. You have, no, I'm, I, no, you have no idea how many times I've been to a wake and I got cousins who are atheists, you know, and I don't preach at them, you know, but they sit there and ask, I wonder where they are right now. I wonder where they are if they're anywhere. I don't care what you believe. Something inside you is always getting at you to ask those questions. I believe it's in Ecclesiastes where it says, God has set eternity upon the hearts of man. You, you can't erase it. It always bothered people, like in secularists. oh, they're trying to eliminate Christmas, stuff like that. It never bothered me because you can never eliminate that spiritual aspect. There'll be that deep hunger that keeps them coming back. And as Rachel was speaking, and the choir saw this too, I'm not alone, they can be my witness, um, there was that reality that they saw her looking at something that she, she was so certain they knew it was real, they just couldn't see it. And in the process, I don't know how many people came to the Lord that day, but they wanted that living water, so to speak. Uh, It's kind of like that, uh, I think it's Isaiah 55, and you know, uh, it's like Jesus saying he is the living water, or, or why drink out of broken cisterns? Everybody wants to be happy. Everybody's looking for happiness, but Jesus Christ saying I am the only true way that can bring fulfillment. All the other things, they're all fragmented, and they're all merely attainment. You can never find fulfillment. You can never find meaning and significance. You just live experience to experience to experience, relationship to relationship, drug to drug. But Jesus is that one quintessential element that takes all our dreams and alters of all our desires. And when we look through his lens, we have such balance in life that everything doesn't have to go right. You have that joy, that blessedness actually means joy, it's like that life joy, that no matter what you're going through life, you're not clicking your heels singing Jesus songs, but you're saying I'm okay though, I'm stable I can still stand, maybe it's during the loss of a loved one, I'm thinking about the Arruda family, you know, during the loss of their loved one, and sometimes moments like this could probably be one of the most lonely times when the, you know, condolences are all over and the ceremony is over, Um, sometimes that can be really challenging, so I would Uh, Urge that you continue to keep them in prayer in the process, but it's like Rodney when I thought about him I don't think he changed much about his life It was consistent from the way he started still loved Christ still doing much as he could Consistently why because his eyes were on a building not made by human hands and when you have that type of perspective You become more than it's just like you're unstoppable You can't be dissuaded because your eyes aren't like on lots, where you can see, feel, and touch only. It goes beyond that, not just looking at the sunrise, but looking through it to the creator, knowing that's what we were destined for. Um, So let me end with this. Actually, I'm going to read one of the writings, and I'm going to end in prayer. Um, One is Annie Johnston Flint. I heard this quoted before, and I quoted it in a prison. Now, this young lady has been through pretty much hell on earth. She had cancer, she had rheumatoid arthritis, her hands were all, you know, crunched up and she was forced to lie in bed. She had sores so they had to constantly move her and this was most of her life. And then in the end she became blind. Uh, she was a follower and a lover of Jesus Christ and she wrote the most beautiful essays and hymns that, uh, that's still so popular and blesses people today. And this is one that she wrote while she was in the midst of all this. He says, he giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added afflictions, he adds his mercy. To multiplied trials, he multiplies peace. When you've exhausted a, a, a store of endurance, when a strength has failed, ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has only begun. Fear not that thy need shall exceed thy provision. Our God ever yearns his resources to share. Lean hard on the arm everlasting availing. The Father, both thee and thy load will upbear. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power no boundary known unto men. For out of the infinite riches of Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Let me read that last part. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again with that eternal perspective when you thought you couldn't take anymore, don't have enough, look to the building not made by human hands, and he'll get you through. So number one, we see how the grace of God changes people one life at a time, not making us better people, not putting lipstick on a pig, but making you an entirely new creation because of this love. It's not through fear, it's not through obligation, not through religion, but it's through love. Love gives you that incentive, that power for us to move forward. And then number two, then we see how this grace, once you transform, changes our perceptions of other people and all the boats rise. No longer do I look at that homeless guy and think he's worthless or whatever. Now I see him made in the image of God and serve him as though he's higher than me just like Jesus with, did with us. And then towards the end, we see the eternal perspective as we go through difficulties and hardships and we don't have the promise here like Abram did, we can look forward into our future glory one day and meet the ones that have gone before us. And then most importantly, it talks about in Revelation how we take the crowns that God gives us and, he's, and it says we cast them at his feet, meaning that we're so overwhelmed by his grace, we don't just toss it, we cast it at his feet, because we know, but if it wasn't for his grace, we wouldn't be who we are today, just like my stepfather said. Amen? Amen. All right, let's uh, close in a word of prayer, and Mike Brown, or whoever's going to come up. Um, Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you, Lord, for your tremendous love and your tremendous grace, and I pray that that word grace would have a new significance and new meaning, that power source for such undeserving people and, uh, with myself, number one, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that when we, weren't, when we weren't even looking for you, Lord, you came and found us, Lord. Like that lost sheep, we can never boast because it's not a matter of becoming better people or finding our way home, for we are lost. Thank you that we can boast that I've been found by my maker. I've been found by the great shepherd just purely because of your grace. Thank you for bringing us home. Thank you for changing us. And even though we ain't fully... Who you want us to be yet through the process, one day we will be, Lord. So we thank you, Lord. Continue to help those, Lord, who are going through difficulties or who lost loved ones and continue to carry them with with your promises looking forward to that building made uh, without human hands but by the hands of God. Lord, bless this congregation. Strengthen them. And, Lord, may this word strike their hearts with power, Lord. We thank you. And I pray that you would uh, bless the remainder of this day in Jesus' name.